The following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2008 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. We are in Hosea. Let's go back to Hosea. And what is the background? We are talking about Hosea. And the time was 200 years after Solomon. Okay, about that time. The nation is divided. When we say Israel, some of you say, okay, that's all the nation. No. Those are the ten tribes. In this time, Jews killed Jews. Jews fought one against the other. So when we say Israel, you have to check out. Well, what does it mean right now? Are these the ten tribes or it mean all the nation? This is the era we are talking about. So, Hosea, he really lived a long time. I mean, if you check how many kings he lived through, it's really amazing. Another thing, he was the person who lived through the times of Isaiah, Micah, Amos. Really, all these prophets lived in similar time. Maybe they had a coffee time together maybe in their life once. I don't know. <laughs> like Zechariah, and who was his person that lived in the same time he lived? Haggai. Two months earlier, Haggai was there. So it's so good to have the timetable. Who lived when? To compare the messages each one of them shared. And then it's like changing from black and white TV to a color TV. It's the same tiger. But wow, now it's life. Really, investing in it, see the timetable, chronological events, it's really beautiful. So the time of Hosea. He's talking about the people of Israel, the ten tribes. What was their political situation, their uh, spiritual situation? Well, they were rich. They were kind of powerful, but deteriorating. The society was deteriorating. From the inside, it was corroded, worth to nothing. They think they are strong, but really are not strong in the eyes of the Lord. God bless them. God, you know, sometimes we are so bad, but still, don't, God does not come with a baseball bat and crash our heads. He doesn't do it for every sin immediately. He has a lot of love, a lot of patience. Not all of us has perfect kids. Some of us have kids that you really want to change some parts in their body. But still, when you go somewhere or you think about your inheritance, they are still written there. You do not erase them every time they tell you take a hike. <laughs> you see, God works in a similar way. Not for everything he put a big X over your life and build another one. So God continued to bless the people of Israel. And see chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter. And what do they say? Oh, Great. We receive rain, we receive power, uh, the business goes well. They go to the Baal, to the idols, worship them and thank them. Thank you for the goodness you have given to us. And God says, what are you talking about? They are dead. You created them with your own hands. I gave it to you. And they are blind. They death. Instead of worshiping God and thanking God, what do they do? They cut another wood. <laughs> Shape it as an idol and put it in his own yard. Instead of thanking God. And God said, 
well, I'm going to do something to you. If I'll just let it be in your hand, nothing will be left of you. So God is the one who is taking the initiative to change the situation of his own chosen people. Not because they are good. Not because they've done anything to deserve it. The opposite is correct. But he's going to do that, Ezekiel said in the best words, for God's, for the sake of God's name. If you'll take all the book of Ezekiel and write a commentary one day, you may need a title. What will be the title? Chapter 36, for my own namesake. This is the title of all the book of Ezekiel. Not for us, for his namesake. He promised. He promised to Abraham. He did it out of love. And for the sake of my word to your forefathers, I need to bear with you, to change you, and to bring you to the place where you'll bring glory to my name. So God is going to do great things and never think that, wow, <laughs> we were good. You were nothing. You're a big zero. God is good. God is faithful. And God, thank you to have so much patience. So now we come to verse 14. I'll read verse 14 to 18 in English. Bear with me with my accent, and then we'll go verse by verse, word by word. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. What is allure? Tempt. Tempt. Check the Hebrew. The Hebrew says very clear, mefateha. Pitui means tempting. I will tempt her. The idea is since God can never tempt you in something bad, the idea with tempting in that sense is I will bring my influence upon you. I will push you. I will bring you into a situation that they will go there or do that. That's the idea behind it. I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness. In Hebrew, desert. Of course, there is wilderness in the desert. But the word in Hebrew is desert. That's it. And speak comfort to her. In the Hebrew, it says very clear, I spoke on her heart. I spoke on her heart. Literal words, one to one. What does that mean? Now what I say enters into her heart. Until now, they didn't see me. Did you ever speak, did you ever speak with someone who is drug addict? I mean, you look at his eyes, he's looking at you, but you know he sees a different movie. And that's exactly the same. I said because bad experiences. We see things like this. You can break your heart before him. It looks like that. And you know, he sees, he's in different cinema altogether. <laughs> and it breaks your heart. That's the best words you can tell him. But he's not, not in the listening mode, not in the video mode, not in the audio mode. He's somewhere else with himself. That's exactly what Israel was and until today. So God now is going to open this door, and now what he speaks enters to the heart, and they understand. This is the issue here. And of course, out of the context, you know, it's comfort. But I can speak on your heart and can tell you hard things. Out of the context, I mean, with the context, you know, it's encouraging her, but the word itself spoke on her heart. I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Now, 
You know there is a city in Israel, Door of Hope. Who have been to Door of Hope city in Israel? You're not, you don't know what I'm talking about. Who have been in Israel? Whoever drove from Tel Aviv to Haifa? Did you ever see a note, Petah Tikva? It's a city. Petah Tikva. Opening of hope. It's the name of a city. Okay, now, it's not here it says it's the name of a city. But just to let you know what is today. And we'll deal with it as the lesson continues. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer my master. Now, for you to read in Hebrew, in English, um, it says, okay, but woe until you hear it in Hebrew. She will not call me anymore Baali, but will call me Ishi. What is Baali? It's the same letters of to say the Baal, the gods. In Hebrew, Baali means my husband. So it's a play on words. No more she will even say these words similar to idol worshipping. Idol worshipping will go totally together from the land and also from her vocabulary. She will not even say these words. So how, she, how can she say my husband to God? Or she'll use a synonym. My man. Is she my master? Feminist will never say that. <laughs> my husband? My man? Who am I? Am I number two? What to you if you speak like this next to them? They will close the audio and video channel. But that's what the Bible said. That's what all Israel is going to say. Well, it seems like I'm going to finish the lesson just reading the verses, but never. Um, for, <laughs> for I will take, will take from her mouth the names of the Baals. You see, Baals, that means the God's name. Baali, my husband in Hebrew. And they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant from them with the beasts of the field and with the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground. That means we will not eat any more shrimps? I don't know. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. Okay, now let's go again verse by verse and see what is the context. Therefore, I go back to verse 14. Now, I'm paraphrasing it from the Hebrew. Okay, you just continue to look at your verses in your Bible. Therefore, I am, God, God is speaking, going to tempt her, which means... I'm going to influence her. I'm going to cause her and walk her. That's the Hebrew word. I'm going to walk her. I'm going to cause her to walk. Where to? To the desert. And what to do there? <laughs> you know, there is nothing to do in the desert. I walked in the desert. Really. I mean, as a trip, always in the distance of the van. <laughs> when you got nothing to do, here comes the van and you go to the city. There is not much to do in the desert. After five minutes, you, go, you know the idea, you want to go home. <laughs> so, and the heat, and the heat really helps you to know the idea very quick. So, God is tempting us. Um, God is going to influence the people and to walk to the desert. And there, he is going to speak on their heart. Now, the question is very simple. Um, what kind of a desert does he talk about? 
You know, I'm a kind of a person that if God says, take the dog, I say, take the dog. It's a, go to the moon, I go to the moon. If the context is simple and the parts of the context are existing in reality, I will usually take it as is. As simple as it is. Because if God speaks about a symbol or figuratively, you know it in the context. You don't have to worry about it. God explain it and the context tells you it's a symbol or it's a figurative situation. Okay? So, do you have a desert in Israel? <laughs> oh, yes. We can give you some if you want. <laughs> so, it's not that you don't have the desert. Other verses also talk about a desert situation. So, one plus one equals two, even in America. So, let's see how it works. So, some people say, Meno, maybe the desert is symbolic. But, I don't think so. I do, I do believe it's real desert. And now, if it is symbolic, then I'll, show, I'll tell you what happens. Immediately after going to the desert, as we read the verses, it's going to bring the people to the, na- to, to the land. They are going to have peace. I mean, even the animals would love them. That means you take the sting of the sin, Isaiah 11 existing. Until today, Isaiah 11 is not in the area. It's supposed to be still in the future. That means when a lion will be next to a cow and will eat grass and a bear will be with a cow, a snake with a child. You know, this is something that's going to be in the millennium. It's not here yet. So if the desert symbolically is going out to Babylon, after Babylon still we don't have peace. After Babylon still we don't have all the promised land. So we're not talking about symbolic something as if Babylon is a symbolic desert. You have to check in the Bible where the people of Israel are going to a desert and immediately after going to this desert, they are receiving their property and they have total peace. That's going to be only in the future. Well, where do we find that? We find it in the book of Revelation, for example, in a very clear way. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 28. I'll repeat, Revelation 12, 6. Matthew 24, verses 15 to 28. Even Jesus says, they will run to the desert. And we know that in Isaiah 63, God himself goes to Edom. To do what? To bring many of the people back to the land. What is Edom area there? It's a desert. So the desert is reality. When this verse is going to take place? In the future. When exactly in the future? The second part of the tribulation, from the middle to the end. That's all. That's, at least according to my understanding, where I can put this prophecy to fit exactly what it says. Take it literally, put it there, and it really fits like a tailor-made. No addition, no deduction. So we know that in the middle of the tribulation, many of the people, many of the Jews then will realize that these mighty men, who have done such victorious wars and things, is nothing but the Antichrist. And if in the first half of the tribulation he was kind of defending Israel, in the second half, because they realize who he is, entering to the temple and demand worship as God, they flee. And now he's spending his time persecuting them. Many run to the desert and see what God is doing with these people there. 
Now, what God is going to do with the people while they are in the desert? It says that he's going to speak on their heart. Now, why would they listen to him then? <laughs> look to the desert. Look to the right and look to the left. Look down and look up. Guess what? It's the same view. <laughs> in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, God said, Since you trust your power, your might, and your money, your wealth, I'm going to take all the, this tree. Remember, why the people of Israel do not call God? Because if they fix it with money, why, why should they call him? If I can fix it with my own might, why should I call him? If I can fix it with my IQ, why should I call him? Everyone wants to hug Israel and says, how many wise people come from you? That's correct. But some people take it in the wrong way. Ah, oh, we are smart. We are smart. We know how to do things. We know how to get out of problems. Yes, but there is a limit for everything. And as long as the people trust in these three things, God is out of the formula. Do it yourself. And God is going to bring a situation where all these three things will not be enough. The wealth will be taken. Power will be proven to be neutral. Doesn't help. And all your wealth was taken by foreigners. And then what? And then you're in the desert, empty pocket, realizing that you are full. And the only thing you can do is listen right now to your father. Listen right now to your father. And he comes and speaks to them on their heart. And people cannot accept God unless the Holy Spirit changes their heart. And the Holy Spirit will work, smoothening the heart, opening their ear, eyes to realize God is the speaker. And then they will remember all what they have been taught, all what was said, realizing that this mighty man who came is the Antichrist, is not the real Christ. And the real one is really Jesus the Lord. It's so sad that the nation will need to go to the desert, losing everything, before they realize Jesus is the Lord and he is the source of our salvation. There is no other name by which we can be saved. This is the procedure. That's what's going to happen. It's, you know, we, right now we have some refugees in our land, 7,000 Sudanese refugees. But there will be time in the future that Israel will be refugees in the desert. Israel will be refugees in the desert. That's a situation. That's what the Bible is talking about. Let's see what God is doing with the people when they'll be there. By the way, how they are going to hear the gospel? The people, I don't know when the tribulation will take place. So maybe the rapture will be today, I wish. God, may it be. I'm happy to see you every day. But it could be also in the future. And we know that salvation will only come through hearing. People need to hear the gospel in order to be saved. And this verse does not change, Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 11. So, if these people in the desert are going to listen to God and to receive his words, where would they receive the gospel from? Who is going to tell them the gospel? Let's collect all the options. One, you, me, speaking with Jews. Maybe they will be, those will be part of the people who will end up in the desert and they'll remember the gospel which they have heard. Option number one. Option number two. Remember the 144,000 
Jews, they will do their job. They will speak. People hear. Sometimes they reject it immediately, but it's recorded. They can go again like a cow chewing their cuds. And oops, remembering what I have heard before. Wow, it's true. Why didn't I receive it before? Another option, by Gentiles who have been saved, who told them the gospel. Absolutely, it's an option. God is so good, even an angel in heaven will speak and they will hear. Revelation 14. And also the two witnesses that have been, I do believe, through the first half of the tribulation, they spoke. Many people mock them just to later on realize what a mistake have we done. So God is so faithful while the nation is in her worst situation of rebellion against God. See how many radio stations God still continue to operate to tell the gospel so they may hear and be saved. Hearing the gospel, allowing it to be spread, it's an ultimate proof of the love of God. Ultimate proof of the love of God that still is there, even in the worst time of human history that will be in the future. Now, the question is how God is going to feed them in the desert. You know, you talk about many things, but some ladies here are housewives, have kids, and you can speak about high theology, and in the end of the day, she'll tell you, okay, what is for breakfast? Um, okay, <laughs> you have how many people there in the desert? They need to eat breakfast. No breakfast? Okay, okay, you wake up, lunch, dinner, something. How do you feed these people in the desert? Well, God is a good catering company. <laughs> remember so many years ago in the desert? Remember the manna? Remember the quails? He may change the menu. But still, it's the same chef. And if you don't like this chef, I'll tell you what is the option. The devil is also a good chef, and he'll give you to eat, and you know from where. So, remember, God is the best chef. He can feed you. And when God feeds, it's so tasty. It can hurt sometimes. But when it hurts, it's because he's loving you. He's preparing you for greater things. He wants you to be um, equipped and ready to carry his name. That when people look at you, they will, they will see more of him than of you. And that takes the punishment of God sometimes as education. Not as a punishment for punishment. To keep you on the knees, just begging before the Lord day by day for his provision. God can feed you by crows that will give you meat. And they'll ask you, for tomorrow, would you like it well done or rare? <laughs> I mean, God, God can do things. I don't need to give him suggestions. But if he says, I'll feed you, you better seek this food and not any other restaurant. This is the idea. It's correct for the people in the desert. It's correct for us today here. The devil is longing to feed us. He wants to feed us. He'll give you all the food you want. Earthly-wise, it's the best food. But it's for your death, not for your life. 
So, some people ask, where is the church in all of these verses? The church is not here. The church was taken before the tribulation. Before this tribulation, God took the church. We know that according to Revelation 3.10, I will take you from the time of trouble that is come upon the inhabitants of the earth. Inhabitants of the earth in the book of Revelation speaks about non-believers. Revelation 3.10. That's one thing. Second, see God's pattern of doing things. You don't see Noah running with a speedboat after the ark. Why, why, why? Don't I feel catch it? No, he was there before. Lot didn't run out of Sodom and Gomorrah while the problems. He was out. You see, God has a system of operation. And it's a principle. And he simply follows his righteous principles. That's all. It's one of the simplest things in all the Bible. And we take the simplest thing and we try to make it so complicated. And you know what? To put our name in front. Nothing more, nothing less. The Bible is simple. We make it complicated and it's a sin. It's a pure sin. The rest. What do I learn from there? Why God took the people of Israel to the desert and God can take me today to a desert. And I don't want to be there in the desert for a long time. I like to go as a tourist. <laughs> Just as a tourist. To, see, to say hi to the animals, to see the view and bye-bye. I have a nice home, nice family. I prefer to be there. But when we do not do what God assigned for our life, he may take us to a desert. God did not create us just to hit the chair. Each one of us has gifts. Each one of us has purpose in life. And God knows this purpose. And you know what? Each one of you know too. And if you don't know, you didn't pray enough to seek it. There are no spare parts in the church. Everyone is a vital part. And each one of us needs to seek the Lord. God, there is something for me. What are my gifts? Help me. Ask your pastor. Pray for this. See what you can do. And it's helping the church. Whether it's cleaning the toilets, painting or teaching or helping or encouraging, whatever. There are no spare parts. And if you know God has a purpose in your life and you just sit and wait, watch out. It can take you from the ear to the zither, give you some spanks. And then you know, ah, I didn't know that I can do this. Why did you need a spank in the head in order to know that? <laughs> so before it comes, before you left the trip to the desert, be wise. Beg the Lord, I want to know today, God, help me. Help me. You see a dirt on the floor in the church? Don't say, it's not my job. <laughs> in our church, you will not be an elder until you put both hands in the toilets, deep, deep in the toilets. <laughs> you think I'm joking. I'm not. And I said it before the church. If you think that an elder does not kill, uh, uh, clean the gathers, you'll never see the puppet, only in the pictures. It's true for each one of us. And if you don't do that, okay, hey baby, we have a trip to the desert. And the desert can be your home. The desert can be the nicest thing in this earth. And God will take your joy until you look at him and he can speak to your heart. Until you bow, until you say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And really mean it. Not like the people of Israel 
when they celebrate Tisha B'Av, ninth of Av, the destruction of the temple, and the book of Zechariah chapter 7, they come and say, should we continue to fast on those days or not? And God said, why? When you eat, you eat for me. When you fast, you fast for me. Who asked you to do that? You really do not confess your sins. You are here, you are crying because you have lost a toy. And the toy was the temple. I'll give you the temple. Yes, we have the toy back. Then the religion will be there. But where is your heart? Did I invent these morning days? You invented them. I invented one day of atonement, and even one you don't do well. So you come and tell me, should we continue? Fast all the year if you want. It's not for me. If you'll change your heart, I'll change all your morning days into a feast days. That will be only in the millennium. So you can come and cry to the Lord. Good. You better cry from the heart. Not because you have lost a toy. Like a child. Oh, Father, I'll do anything. Just give me the TV. Okay, give him the TV. He's still the bad boy. You see, he didn't cry because he hurt you. Because he did crime. He's crying because the toy is missing. And how much time we cry like this. So, spend time in the Word, pray a lot, read from the Word of God, meditate on it, fellowship with other believers, fellowship with other good believers, and share things. Too many people have their Christian life like a poker game, cards to the heart, no one should see. No, it's not Christian life. Put everything on the table, even your ugly stuff. You know, your real friends will not mock you, will not use it against you. Those who will use it against you are not your friends anyway. They will pray for you. They will cry for you. And when they'll be honest, <laughs> they'll share their cards and they're identical. <laughs> so let's pray one for another, not mock one another. We need one another. Otherwise, God will take us to the desert. And see what happened in verse 15. Verse 15, and I gave her her vineyards from there. That means after being to the desert, I'll give her a, a vineyard. Why? They like wine so much? That's not the case. The idea of vineyard or other fruit is tranquility, peace. You put the seed, you enjoy the fruit. It's part of peace and tranquility and safety. That's the idea behind it. And I will give her the valley of Achor to Petach Tikva. Now, what is the valley of Achor? Achor in Hebrew means, oh, okay, let's do it like this. You come and see a pool of water, or let's do it smaller, aquarium, fish aquarium at home. Do you know what is aquarium? You put fish in, right? Good. You don't maintain it. After one month, can you see the fish inside? What do you see? UFOs moving inside, right? <laughs> how, do you call, how do you call water? How do you call this water that it's not clean and you hardly see things inside? In Hebrew, maim achurim. Water, achurim, the same word here, which means filthy, dirty. You cannot see through. And in spiritual realm, full of sin, defilement. What is the name and where do we get it from? The book of Joshua. Remember that Achan, Achan took from the loot the place he was burnt. 
What is the name of the place? The Valley of Achor. Why? The sin was remembered there. Filthy that brought curse upon the nation. This is the idea. So what is the opposite of the Valley of Filthiness? Source, openness of hope. So the idea is as follows. What, what do we see here? We come to this situation and we see it in the time of Joshua. And then it comes, as I said, to opening of hope. So he's talking about all the nation. I'm going to change your name. Changing name? The book of Hosea. What was the name of the wife in the first place? Ami, lo ami. My nation? No, my nation. Ruchama, that means be merciful. Don't be merciful. Lo ruchama. Remember the playing on words? The same thing. What is the opposite of Emek Achor, the valley of filthiness? Open door of hope. It's the same idea. There it was, the children, and now it's the name of the land. Now, Emek Achor in this context is not just a pinpoint place next to Tel Aviv. This is all Israel. This is all the land. Until now, ask Ezekiel 35, 36, 37. The land ate the people and killed it. It was a source of death to its, its inhabitant. Now, the land will not kill its inhabitant. You put a seed, whoop, it, it grows to a tree and you eat the fruit. Long life. You see life after your children and their children. This is the idea. I will change the name of the land. It's a cursed land, now it's a hopland. This is the idea. That's what stands behind these words. And what will happen to the people while they're doing that? And they will sing there as the days of youth and the day as she walked up, came up from the land of Egypt. Remember when they crossed the sea? What did they sing? The song of the crossing of the sea. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Miriam, Miriam, the sister of Moses, sang beautiful song. We miss it on the screens today. Beautiful song. You know, I remember one time we drove with our friends to the Dead Sea. He, he bought a new Jeep, beautiful one. We drove close to the water. As we parked, the Jeep sank. <laughs> Don't laugh. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And how, suddenly, you see half a jeep. <laughs> Seriously. What should we do? We saw a big semi-trailer parking not far from us. We went to the, to the beach to find the person. We found him. He came to help us. As he pulled us, we saw half a semi-trailer. <laughs> Truly. From 10 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, we are running to Jericho before the Intifada, find, knocking door on doors to find chains of cranes, to find a tractor, to find a truck, 10 o'clock at night, all the army is around because the military area, the army didn't touch. He said, the commander, I, tell, I told him, help us, he says, take a hike. Every week I have people like you who break my cars, my trucks, because you don't know what to do with your own. <laughs> so he just looked until 10 o'clock at night. When a big tractor came, we paid for everyone good money and pulled out the semi-trailer. And I jumped as if salvation was there. <laughs> I remember how much I jumped only for a semi-trailer out of the mud. Now imagine how the nation will sing when salvation will be for all the nation. What a joy it will be. I danced like a small kid. 
for a truck. <laughs> and here the nation will see the Lord coming. And they will sing and praise his name for something so great. And here, that's what the people of Israel will do, like in their youth. And in verses 16 to 18, he said, And in that time you will call me my man. You will not call me anymore my husband. Why? What's wrong with my husband? The Hebrew is Baali. It's the same letters of the word Baal. That means the Babylonian God and so on. You will not even use this vocabulary anymore. Your mouth will be totally clean. That again goes to Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1. No remnant of anything that has to do with idol, with idol worshiping and so on. Total clean nation. Then it will be the time when the new covenant will be in the hearts of the Jews. Can you imagine? All the nation, all the nation are saved. All the nation. That's the literal meaning of Jeremiah 31 verse 31 to 34. What a joy. What a joy. Even the vocabulary will be clean, not mentioning the heart. And I will take all the names of the Baals, that means for the idols of her mouth, and they will never be remembered in their name. Do you remember Madonna? Madonna who? Even it will be out of the software. What a joy. What a joy. God is so good. And I will have a covenant with them. Cut a covenant in Hebrew. In that day. With the animals of the field. With the birds. With everything. And there will be no more sword or bow. And I will break everything like this from this land. And I let them down in peace. Like a mother take a child and prepare him for sleeping. That's the idea. Oh baby, sleep. Everything is okay. Sleep until the morning. That's a joy. But here, what do we see here? Although the people of Israel walking away from the Lord, God will not sit quietly looking at it until the end of times. Why? Because his name is in jeopardy. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying. Praying for what? Was the first issue, was the temple, Jerusalem? No. God, it's your name. For your namesake, build these things. Because the nations are looking at Jerusalem, are looking at us, and they mock you. For your namesake, do these things. Because of his covenants, because of his promises. And if God is doing it to this nation, to you Gentiles, it's very important. If his firstborn child is trashed to the gutter, do you think you have a chance? But when he's going all the miles for his firstborn, he will go the same for you. He's the same God. And the contract he has with Israel, it's as valid as the contract he has with you on a personal level on your salvation. Listen to God. Walk with him. It's nice to go to the desert as a tour group, not as a punishment. Make sure you do day by day what God assigned for this day. In prayer, in fellowship, in studying his word. And you'll see his goodness day by day. May God bless you.